Welcome to our post-Super Bowl episode. If you listened to our last episode, you know our take and our thoughts on who would win, which was Brady losing six times, was incorrect. Brady pulled it out again in probably the most boring Super Bowl ever. But before we get to that, I'd like to introduce you to somebody new. We got Dr. T in the building. Dr. T, say hi. Hello. <laughs> Dr. T is in studio with us today. Is going to co-host with me on, on this episode. And so, back to the Super Bowl. Did you, Dr. T, did you think, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? Did you think it was interesting? I did not think it was interesting, but I thought the good thing was there's a lot of defense, which we have not seen in the past. Do you enjoy watching defense? Yes, but for the Super Bowl, I feel like it would have been, I wish it was more scoring. Yeah, I mean, nobody, you listen to all the experts, all the People on TV, people on radio predicting who they think is going to win the game. Nobody had that game being three to nothing at halftime. No. <laughs> Not at all. Nobody had that. And how, okay, so the Patriots are what, giving up like 28, 30 points a game all season. And then they come out with possibly against one of, against probably the best offense in the NFL, maybe second best behind the Chiefs this year. Yeah. And they shut them down. Maybe one of the best defensive performances we've ever seen in a Super Bowl. How does that happen? How does a defense that's not been very good all year all of a sudden be incredible in the Super Bowl? I just don't I don't I don't understand. I don't it's like they trick us all year. I think that's what the Patriots do. They just trick us. I think it's leadership and Belichick. And then Brady somehow just, like, comes out and gets that defense fired up. But Belichick's there all year. Why aren't they doing that all year? Why do they somehow, in the biggest games, they just always come out and play? It's the Patriots. Patriots. <laughs> it's the Patriots. <laughs> Patriots. So, here's the question I'd like to pose. After this win, does this officially make Brady... To uh, reference Joy here, make Brady the boat the best of all time. No. I think he already has um, made himself in that category. So you think even if he would have lost this Super Bowl, he was already the best of all time? It would have put him down, but I would think he would still be in that conversation. Okay. See, I, as you know, if you're a frequent listener to this podcast, you know I am probably the biggest... Brady hater there is. I'm not a fan of Tom Brady whatsoever because I'm a big fan of Peyton Manning. And I believe that if Brady would have never thrown a football, if Brady would have decided to be a professional bowler instead of a professional football player, that Peyton Manning would have at least five or ten more Super Bowl rings. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but that's, that's what I think. So because of that, I do not like Tom Brady, but I cannot argue that this man possibly... I don't know, so how do you define best? Is he the best athlete to ever play quarterback? No. Is he the best person to ever throw a football? No. Is he the smartest? No. But I think he's had the best career. He's good enough at all those things that he's had the best career of any quarterback, and I don't think you can 
you can really argue that. Totally. Yeah. So, Dr. T is in agreement with me. So, Super Bowl was super boring. And, and the Patriots pull out, even though Brady wasn't that good. In the Super Bowl. No, he wasn't. I mean, he, what, 50% completion? Yeah. I mean, it was horrible in the first half, had an interception, didn't throw a touchdown pass. I know. I mean, he, he threw for 100 yards to Julian Edelman's beard, but... That beard was the was the real MVP of the Super Bowl, yeah. I think. I mean, the Patriots do not win that game without Julian Edelman's beard. No, not at all. <laughs> However, I think that pass to Gronk um, before to get him down close to the goal line before they score the last touchdown that might be one of the most clutch passes we've seen in a Super Bowl. I mean, I even though it won a touchdown, you you might put it up there with. Roethlisberger's pass in the Super Bowl to win against the Cardinals. Yeah. I don't know. You wouldn't really say Manning's pass to the guy that caught it on his helmet that I can't remember his name right now. Wait, Manning? Eli. Oh, yeah. Eli threw it to a... I don't know. It's called head... head not helmet snatch or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that pass. That was more of a great catch than a great pass. <laughs> But, I mean, Brady's pass, it was amazing. I mean, it was in the perfect place, right over the defender, right to Gronk. Crazy. So, again, we've already asked the question. We've got to ask again. How do the Patriots keep winning? How, in in a league, the NFL, where it's designed for parity, it's designed for there not to be one team that just consistently wins because of the way the draft's set up where the worst record gets the highest pick every you've got the salary cap where every team has the same amount of money that they can spend every team's playing under the same rules how does one team just do it so much better than all the other teams over a 20-year period how is that possible we haven't seen anything like that in professional sports Period. I mean, outside of, at times, I guess, the Yankees' dominance or the Celtics' dominance back when there were only, like, six teams in the NBA. But, I mean, in, in the, the modern day, we have not seen that kind of dominance by one organization in professional sports, especially a salary-capped professional league. How, Dr. T, how, how, do, you, how do you think? I've got some thoughts. What are, what are your thoughts? I really don't know. That's, that's like, a super hard question. <laughs> so i have some theories on how the patriots are doing this first of all first thing you have to do if you want to be a dominant football organization in the nfl is you need to get a superstar quarterback who's married to someone that makes five times as much as him so then you don't have to pay him a lot of money so you can pay other players money or get more players which is what they have in Tom Brady second way is to just get a bunch of players that are either good players that have got in trouble or players that are like on there like they need they're looking for another chance you get them you don't have to pay them a lot of money they do well for you because they want to make a lot of money and then when it's time for them to get paid you just let them go somewhere else and that seems to be what the Patriots have done 
for like I think those two things along with other things. Obviously, also having probably the best football mind as your head coach doesn't hurt. Dr. T, I got a question for you. Uh-huh. Who do you think is a better football mind, Belichick or Saban? Mm-hmm. Saban. How? How do you think? How? How? Explain yourself. Well, he doesn't lose as many championships as Belichick does. And, uh, like... Belichick won a championship this year and Saban lost. Yeah, that's this year. And Belichick has a 40-year-old uh, superstar, the goat or the boat of football who played. And Saban has, a, like, a first-year starter that won the national championship last year. Well, because Saban gets 40 boats a year. With his recruiting. See, I think it's Belichick because Saban couldn't do anything in the NFL. And Belichick has been able to do it with a salary cap. Whereas Saban, I mean, you don't really have a salary cap in college. Because Saban can just go out and literally get as many of the best players as he wants. Belichick can't do that. So, I think I won that argument. (laughs) Coming soon, the new argument. <laughs> so, I guess we can agree that the Super Bowl was awful this year because Brady won and it just wasn't. There was what, like, there, I, ca- I think I counted at least 950 punts during that game. I know, there's a, yeah. Yeah, there was a ton of punts and no, nobody likes that. So, moving on from the NFL to probably more of Dr. T's wheelhouse, which would be college football. If you've lived under a rock this week, um, then you don't know that this past Wednesday was National Signing Day, which historically is the day where the majority of college athletes, football players especially, sign their letters to where they're going to play their college football The past two years, they've had two signing days, one in December and one this past week. And so the one in December has become the last two years bigger than the one that happened this this past week. But it's it's still kind of a big deal. And we now know the final recruiting rankings. And I'll just name off really quick your top 10. This is according to... 24-7 sports or 247, however you want to say that, even though it's definitely two different colors, so I'm pretty sure it's 24-7 in their logo. Yeah, 24 Yeah. Okay, Dr. T, I like calling it 247 sports. They're ranked 247th out of sports. Anyway, um, so (laughs) number one, of course, Alabama. Number two, Georgia. Three, Texas. Four, Texas A&M. Five, LSU. Six, Oklahoma. Seven, Oregon. Eight, Michigan. Nine, Florida. Ten, Clemson. We'll go to 12 for no reason. I just like the number 12. 11, Auburn, and 12, Tennessee. What, Dr. T, what was the biggest surprise? What's what's a team you see up there in those those high rankings that surprise you? Maybe Texas and Texas A&M. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, historically, you think of both those schools – as as good recruiters and you think of the talent that you find in the state of Texas 
but the past probably 10 years or so, especially Texas just hasn't done great in recruiting. Um, Texas is riding a lot of momentum, it seems like. They had a really good season. And then Texas A&M is benefiting from having a – what's their coach's name? Tom Herman. No, Texas A&M. Oh, uh, oh, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. I knew it was – I was wanting to call him Gumbo something. Gumbo, Jimbo. Gumbo Fisher. Jackbo. Gumbo Fisher. That's what we're calling him now, Gumbo Fisher. Um, he, he did well recruiting at Florida State, so it's really no surprise that he's he's there. Um, Oregon is a surprise to me, I think. They're at number seven. Um, Tennessee is a surprise. Tennessee started off the day Wednesday at number 16 and moved all the way up to number 12. I think that was... Obviously, I'm a little biased being a Tennessee fan, but that was that was a, a, a surprise. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So, that's basically all the analysis you need when it comes to recruiting. Alabama's good. Everybody else is trying to play catch-up. Um, catch-up with a C, not catch-up with a K. Now I'm hungry. You're hungry? Yeah, that was a catch-up joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> and dr t just got the joke um (laughs) so that was wednesday thursday yes yesterday from when we're recording this thursday was the nba trade deadline which if you don't understand the word trade or deadline basically what that is that's the last day you can swap one of your players for another team's players so we had some um some interesting trades going down. I don't think there were any just shockers. I think everybody was kind of waiting to see where Anthony Davis would go, and he's still in New Orleans, whether he plays this year or not. That's yet to be determined. But there there were some interesting trades. Maybe not team-changing trades, but probably the... The one that pops out at me being a Grizzlies fan is that the Grizzlies traded their longtime star, Mark Gasol, to the Raptors for Giannis Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, and C.J. Miles in a 2024 second-round pick. Um, The Grizzlies also acquired Avery Bradley, and they traded uh, Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green him. Jermichael Green's a former Alabama player. But, um, you know, I, I hate to see Mark Gasol go. Um, you know, I've, I've been a Grizzlies fan all of a year and a half now. Um, I hate to see Mark Gasol go, but I'm excited about I, I'm actually a big Giannis Valanciunas fan. Um, and I know that sounds like a joke, but no, I'm serious. I really do like Giannis Valanciunas since I watched the Netflix show that featured him. And uh, that's usually how I determine what teams I like. It's just what documentaries I watch. And um, <laughs> that's actually how I picked Juventus as my favorite soccer team because there was a cool documentary on them. But um, are there are there any trades there, Dr. T, that kind of pop out at you? No, I think I agree with you. Yeah. Markel Fultz was traded from the 76ers, the former first overall pick a few years ago. Um, was traded. The Trailblazers got 
Caleb Swanigan from the Kings for Scalabissier. Um, that's just kind of jumps out at me just because that's a a uh, Kentucky guy there. But, yeah, Clippers acquire Michael Beasley. That's interesting. Michael Beasley also, he's a former, I think he was the second pick overall. So what you see here, what we've learned is that uh, I don't really remember the last time like a, an NBA star was traded. I guess Mark Gasol is probably the closest we've got to it, except he's kind of on the back end of his of his career. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised surprised that Anthony Davis was wasn't traded. It seems smarter for the Pelicans to hold on to him because because you, you think about this, the Pelicans say they trade. They trade Anthony Davis for a draft pick, right? And you want that draft pick, obviously, to be the highest draft pick. And whatever, what's determined, what determines how high that draft pick is, is how bad the team that you're getting the draft pick from plays this year. So if you're trading them Anthony Davis right now, obviously that team's going to be better the second half of the season than they would be without him. And so your draft pick won't be as good as opposed to waiting until this offseason and trading him for a draft pick that you already have an idea of where that draft pick's going to be at. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's <laughs> that's our uh, trade deadline talk. Real exciting, real exciting news. Um, there is some exciting news that's happening this, uh, this month. I think it's this month. When did we see the first game was? Yeah, February 16th, Saturday, February 16th, the AAF begins, which is the, did we decide what that stands for? American Alliance, Alliance of American Football, maybe? Yeah. Some, I think like Association or something like that, American Association Football. No, I think it's Alliance. Uh, I think it's, yeah. I, I think, I don't know. I don't know either. New Football League, professional football. So... We've talked about the XFL before on this podcast. This is a different professional football league that's beginning. And I think out of the two, this one really has more of a chance um, to to last for, for a couple reasons. First of all, you have men that have a history in the NFL that are involved in this, in this football league. I think um, – I can't think of anybody's name, honestly – the guys that run it, Bill Polian, yeah, the guy that ran the Colts for years and was on ESPN, he's one of the higher-ups in this league. Um, you've got a lot of well-known coaches. But what's really cool is, so, here, here are your teams here. Um, you've got the Arizona Hot Shots, the Atlanta Legends, the Birmingham Iron, the Memphis, Memphis Express, Orlando Apollos, Salt Lake Stallions, San Antonio Commanders, and the San Diego Fleet. So those are some cool places for, I think, football teams, first of all. Um, Birmingham is cool. That's a cool place to have a football team, not just because it's not that far from us. Memphis is another large town with only one professional team, one professional sports team. Um, you got Salt Lake. You got San Antonio. That's that's a cool place for an NFL team. San Diego, they just had an, an NFL team leave, and so now they're getting a professional football team. Another thing that's really cool is these teams, the players, 
are are regional. I thought that's that's really interesting. So, for example, let me uh, let me pull up here the roster, like the roster for the Memphis Express. I have right here, and you have guys from a lot of guys from. You've got like Zach Stacy, the running back from Vanderbilt. You've got Rajon Neal, running back from Tennessee. You've got Stringfellow, a wide receiver from Ole Miss. You've got Pig Howard from Tennessee. Like a lot of Tennessee guys, Tennessee Tech guys, Vanderbilt guys, LSU guys. Zach Mettenberger is one of the quarterbacks. Uh, Christian Hackenberg, he's not regional, but he's on this team too as a quarterback. A lot of a lot of guys that you might not know at the average NFL fan might not know, but me as a Tennessee fan, I know these guys. And there's a lot of them on here. You know, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you know some of these guys. If you're an LSU fan, you know some of these guys. Uh, also, for example, the Birmingham Iron team, they've got their quarterback is, and if you're an Alabama fan, you'll know a lot of these guys. Their quarterback, they got Blake Sims, Trent Richardson, Trent, Trent Richardson as your running back. You've got uh, Quan Bray from Auburn as a wide receiver. Got guys from Tuskegee, South Alabama. Got Avery Young from Auburn as a lineman. You've got all kinds of guys from Alabama on the line. I mean, it's, it's just kind of cool to see. I mean, if you're if you're an Alabama fan, you know who Trent Richardson is. Yeah. You probably have at least one pet named Trent. Um, and... So that's exciting just to go see these guys play. I think that's something really cool. I think that's something that's going to sell sell tickets is having these regional guys involved in this new professional league. And and it'd be cool. It's just cool to have, you know, football just ended. We just watched the Super Bowl. This is usually the time that everybody's, you know, trying not to, to die from their lack of football. And now, a few weeks later, we've got football. Obviously, it's not going to be as good as the NFL, or really anywhere close to as good as the NFL, but it's football. It's exciting. So, it's going to be exciting to see how that league does, see if it lasts. You've had many leagues that have come and tried to compete with the NFL. Um, I don't know if this league wants to directly compete or if it wants to kind of see itself as more of like a developmental league, similar to the D-League is in the NBA. Or like a minor league. I'm not sure what their goal is, but it'd be cool to see something compete. Um, you've had leagues in the past, like the XFL obviously lasted, what, a year? You had the USFL that lasted three years until Trump ran that in the ground. Um, you had, I think the only league to ever survive was the AFL, and which we now know is the AFC, and it, it joined with the NFL eventually. Had it not joined with the NFL, it would have died. But So that's exciting. So you've got some football coming soon. And uh, how much we're going to cover it, I'm not sure. It's going to probably be according to how good it is and how much other stuff we have to cover. So, But that's all we have for you on uh, this episode on sports. So uh, we're brought to you today by Red Letter Clothing, redletterclo.com. Go check them out. They've got some cool, cool gear. Buy you a hat, buy you a hoodie, a t-shirt. They've got some cool stickers, all kinds of stuff. Uh, great guys over there. Hope to have them on a podcast soon. But uh, go check them out. They've been great friends to us here at the podcast. 
been big supporters of us and we're big supporters of them. But uh, we'll catch y'all next time. Everything about God to me is mind blowing. I'm on that theology to keep my mind going. Shade tree theologian, I ain't wearing suits. Sporting tattoos while I'm cruising through the institutes. John Calvin, that's moving. You might even catch me reading Wayne Bruton. Sound doctrine, that's what it's gotta be. Like that white cleft dictionary of theology. But nothing trumps the word, call it the Holy Bible. It is central and necessary for our survival. Does not have a rival, moving is not. Idol. If you preach it, then you liable to have revival. And that's what we need in our local churches. It's either dry as a bone or something like a circus. But it has been purchased so we can commandeer it. Lord Jesus, revive us with your Holy Spirit. Prayer. Hi! <laughs> we're, we're back! Sorry, I was just throwing a curveball. Uh, that's, 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 very, that's, very confused. I, everybody just looked at me like, what's going on? I don't, we didn't talk about this. Am I supposed to say something? And before this, he was like, I gotta think of a way to start this. Yeah. And he's like, prayer! <laughs> I was so, very yeah. confused on what to say. So, um, we're back. Uh, David here with... Dr. T. Dalton. Amazing. That's right. We've added people. Three people. Wait. Cool. Dalton. Oh, okay. Two people. Two. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're not good at math either. Um, <laughs> so, My braids uh, aren't that big. So, yeah. So, as you caught at the first of this episode, our topic today is prayer. Um, so, that's something that uh, hopefully you're familiar with if you're a Christian listening to this. Um, if you're not, then you should probably start praying right now. Um, no. <laughs> so, prayer. What do we mean by prayer? Prayer is, is basically we mean communication with God. Talking to God. Um, we'll, what we want to talk about is uh, like how I've strategically placed myself where I can't read the board. Um, so, we want to talk about prayer why and how are the two answers why do we pray and how how do we pray what does that look like what are some ways and some samples and some ideas yep so but <laughs> um so first of all prayer why do we pray um why do you pray dr t because uh you need to take the show <laughs> <laughs> yep, he wasn't expecting that. Um, so I've got we've got three reasons here that we want to talk about that we want to discuss for why do we pray. The, the first reason that we pray is out out of duty. Um, that's a funny word. Um, so duty. <laughs> okay, he <laughs> said very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'm sorry. We're we're gonna get on track now, guys. We apologize. We're just we're, we're having a lot of fun in here. Um, we pray because we're commanded to pray. We pray because the Bible commands us. Because God commands us through the Bible to pray. We see this in a in a few different, um, many different places in Scripture. Uh, f- first one Dalton's gonna read is Romans 12, verse 12. All right. Rejoicing in hope. Per. per- Persevering, is that what that word is? Yeah, 
Persevering. Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. You read that word perfectly the times you read the verse before we were recording. Really? Yeah. <laughs> per- persevering. Yeah. Persevering. 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 You said it better than me. Persevering. <laughs> so we see there, um, Paul is is telling them to pray, devoted to prayer. Um, we also see this in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, um, verse 6 is where we're going to see another command to pray also from the Apostle Paul. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Yeah. So, in everything by prayer and supplication. Um, so, that's how you... Paul is commanding them to let everything be known to God. God, I th- we believe, we all believe God already knows everything, right? I think we can all agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We, um, so, but yet, as Christians, we're called to pray and to let Him know. It's not, we're not, the purpose of prayer is not to inform God on something. He already knows everything. Um, prayer is, it's good for us, <laughs> is, is prayer. That's why we let these things be known to God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So we're commanded to pray. So that's why we pray. And and that's that's enough right there. The Bible commands us to, to do something. We do it. But there are some other reasons we pray also. Um, we pray. It, it's a privilege. We pray because it's a privilege. Because the God that created the universe, we can talk to him. And through also the God that saved us, the God that sent his son to die on the cross for us sinners, we can have conversation with him. We can speak to him. The God that powerful, that gracious, that loving. Um, he didn't just, we, we, we're we not deists. We don't believe that God just created everything and then just sent us down here and said, y'all figure it out. We can have communication with this God, with this sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And that's good, and that's good for us. It's good for us to pray. It's good for us to talk to Him. It's good for us to know Him. It's good for us to have a conversation with Him. How can you say you love someone, but never talk to them? Like, how can how can I say... For example, like I couldn't really say that I love my wife if everything I know about my wife I hear from other people. No, like I, I know her. I, I, I've talked with her. I've spent most of my life talking to her. Like I've spent hours and hours and hours getting to know her and knowing what she likes and knowing what... I mean, that's how we are with God, and yet so many of us claim to love God, but we don't talk to Him. It's not on our radar. It's not important to us. Prayer is is a privilege. Um, we see that in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Yep. So, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that, like, prayer, the reason we can pray is 
because of Jesus, because of what he did, because of his justification, because our justification by faith, because he justified us, we now can talk through our mediator to God. We know, and this is this is a big thing that separates us, um, us Protestants, us Evangelicals from the Catholic Church. This was a a big issue that the reformers had with the Catholic Church was that Catholic Church doctrine typically says you need someone to go between you and God, whether that be a priest often, so you go and you confess your sins to the priest and the priest talks to God, or it be a saint. So I pray to Mary. I pray to the Virgin Mary hoping that she will talk to God. But we believe we have direct access to God. We believe in the priesthood of all believers that we have direct access to God. We don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go tell your pastor what you want God to know and hope he te- he gets it all right. You can talk to God right now. You can pause this podcast and have a conversation with God. And that's awesome. That's a privilege. That is a grace. That is something that we don't deserve. And that is fruit from what Jesus did on the cross, the fact that we are able to converse with God. So we see it as a duty. We see it as a privilege. We also see it as a means. Um, Prayer accomplishes things. We pray because God works through prayer. Um, We see this in uh, James 5, 13 through 18. Um, I'll read it. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We'll stop right there. Yeah. Um, and then he goes on to talk about, as an example, Elijah praying. And when it hadn't rained in a really long time, and Elijah prays, and it rains. So that's... That's a good example of prayer working. So we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God is all-powerful. We believe that God is in control of all things, and even to the extent that God has all things planned out, is working things for his glory, and, and that's his will. So if you believe that, the question I've heard and the question that's been asked me is if you believe God is sovereign, then why do you pray? Because it seems like if God's already got things planned out, then what's the point of praying? Because it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. Um, however, in his sovereignty, and this is this is somewhat of a mystery, but in his sovereignty, God has planned for prayers to be effective. Um, God has planned to work his will through the through the prayers of his people. Just like in his sovereignty, God has planned to, even though he has things planned out, even though he's the one that saves people, he has planned to save people through the preaching and telling of his word and his gospel through his people. That's part of God's sovereignty. It fits perfectly in 
to God's plan. So did God, if you pray and something happens, did God plan that? Absolutely. But also as a part of his plan, he planned for you to pray that that might happen that would affect him doing it. So <laughs> pray. Prayer works. We see in, in that those verses in James, you know, prayer works. Pray for people that are sick. Pray for people that are hurting. Pray for things. Pray for small things, large things. Pray. Pray for it. Um, you know, I, w- I would say that I've, I've heard, I've heard it, you know, again, I've been asked why I pray if God's sovereign. Um, I would say we pray because God is sovereign. We s- pray that people be healed or that people be saved because God can actually heal people and actually save people because he's sovereign, because he's in control. Someone's salvation isn't reliant on their choice or their decision or them doing anything, but God can actually save people, and so that's what we pray for. You know, the, the people, the, the worst of the worst, God has made, you know, throughout history, he has saved those people. Paul, who we've read a lot of his, you know, his words today, that's a great example of God saving the worst of the worst. Um, so we pray because it works. So, how do we pray? With supplication. <laughs> supplication, <laughs> yes. Yes, we pray with supplication. What was the definition for supplication again, Dr. T? Um... Filibuster, filibuster. The action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Yep. So supplication is asking, is exactly what we're talking about, is what we just read in, in that those verses in James. You know, that's, that's supplication, is asking of God. And, again, it works. Does it always work? Does God always give us exactly what we ask for? No, absolutely not. Um, but but he does and he has not always but there there have been times where people have prayed for someone to be healed and God has healed them we we see it throughout the biblical narrative that God works through the prayers of his people Um, not just Elijah but we see it throughout history throughout the Bible God works through the prayers of his people so how do we pray um I don't know if anyone looked this up, but we see in the the Lord the we see in sorry in Luke chapter eleven verses one through four we see the Lord's prayer there. Thank you for pulling that up. You're a lot faster. You're a lot better at Bible drills. Y'all remember Bible drills? Did y'all ever do Bible I do, drills? Yes. I did. Uh, well, I'm doing it, and I still. I never suck. was great then, but I got better at it. I really time. suck. But Bible. <laughs> I still suck. But Bible drills, though, it's like we've got it on our phone. Like all we got, like. They should do Bible drills now. But it's like three have, taps and you're yeah, there. Everybody should have a phone instead of well, an actual he doesn't, Bible. Well, he like doesn't just, put in his password. Yeah, or he doesn't just, ask just pull out your phone and see who can look it up the first. I don't yeah. have a phone. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very <laughs> American thing. It's like, all right, how can we make Bible competitive? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, could get my, I could bring over my iPad and download an app. All right, um... Luke 11, 
starting in verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sinners, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. That's from the NASB version. Um, somehow, over the years, that has become the prayer that you say after football games, and I, I don't know. But what Jesus is doing there is he's kind of just giving a, not he's not saying, hey, say these exact words every time. He's kind of giving a guideline, like here's here's how to pray. Like the first thing, recognize the holiness of, of God. I mean, he just kind of gives just some things to that are good to pray and just kind of like, like a, a simple, easy guideline there. So what does prayer really, what does it look like? We see kind of two, two versions or two kinds of prayers that you should be, as a Christian, participating in regularly. For your spiritual health. The first one is personal prayer. Um, this should happen on a daily or multiple times a day basis and I can say that confidently that you should be someone you claim to love and your life to be built around. You should be talking to them regularly throughout the day. Um, so that's what we mean. We mean personal prayer is, is just you and God having a conversation 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 it's the new word guys conversation your conversation you're sounding like me yeah. <laughs> so that's important also what's important is to not just pray between you and God but also pray with other believers and guys it's so that's so good it's so good to pray with other people it's so good to hear other people's heart in in prayer it's so good to hear other people pray it's i mean it's just it's good it's good to as a group see how god has answered prayers um, i i i helped start a church along with uh dr t's father and uh we would just the, the, this group of families i mean we can give you so many examples of just times that we prayed together and god answered it and now we can all talk about and say Look what God did. Look what he did. Look at how we prayed. Look at how we prayed for a building to meet in and needed three days to find that building. And somehow, some way, God supplied a building that went above and beyond the needs that we had. I mean, that's that's happened multiple times. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's cool to, as a group, you know, talk about ways God's answered prayers that you prayed together. Um, it's it's very important to pray corporately um i know probably most of us don't like praying corporately or in public or uh that's always that's always fun so get a good prayer to, no i'm just kidding um, i'm not saying everybody you need to go to church sunday and stand up and pray in front of your whole church that's not what i'm saying it's also good to hear prayers corporately um because when you're in a group and one person is praying, one person, why am I bad with my conversation? Like, I don't know Conversa what I'm doing with my words. Um, 
<laughs> what was I saying? While well, one person's praying, he's praying, representing the whole group, and that's good just to be a part of that. Um, it's also good, you know, we've had episodes on community and the importance of biblical community and being in community. It's good to pray as a community, to pray as a group of 3 to 10 to 15 to just pray as a group. Um, it's good for those people to know you well enough to know how to pray for you. It's good to have people pray for you. Those things are good. So, R.C. Sproul gave us, in, in a, one of the books of his I was reading, he gave us kind of a cool little acronym for how to pray and just something to think through as you're praying. And it's and I've heard this elsewhere, but I specifically got this for this podcast from Marcy Sproul. But it's, it's ACTS. Um, the A stands for adoration. And you kind of see this in, in the Lord's Prayer, too, that we read. But adoration, then confession, then thanksgiving, then supplication. Um, what does supplication mean again? Dr. T. The action of asking or begging for something earliest earliestly and earnestly. or hum, uh, earnestly or humbly. Or you can just say it like I say things earnestly. earnestly. Okay, <laughs> earnestly. Yes, that's easy. Humbling. <laughs> humbly ing. <laughs> um, but so it's important it's important to pray. It's important to pray on a daily basis. Robert Murray McShane said and he's talking here about the it was important for him to the first thing he did every day before he did anything else was pray was talk to God and I believe that's a good that's a good thing to to hold to he said I ought to pray before seeing anyone often when I sleep long or meet with others early it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer this is a wretched system it is unscriptural Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. David says, Early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. Family prayer loses much of its power and sweetness, and I can do no good to those who come to seek from me. The conscience feels guilty, the soul unfed, the lamp not trimmed. Then when in secret prayer the soul is often out of tune, I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see his face first, to get my soul near him before it is near another. I think that's good. That's that's good. So, um, pray. We will end this this episode with just a. We are supplicating you. Is that is that? I don't think I use that. Maybe right. I don't know. We're asking you, begging you to pray. Yeah, that's um, better. That's better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know. We probably all. Everyone who's listening to this, everyone in this room, you know that's a believer is like you know kind of what what McShane was talking about there like when you haven't prayed you can feel it like it feels like I think he said out of tune like you feel like out of tune and far away yeah from the Lord yeah, yeah exactly like you can feel it when you're not praying when you're not regularly praying so you should make that a everyday practice um yeah, I had a Spurgeon quote. I'm not going to read the quote because it went with a point that we passed over, and so it would be out of I have a question. Here. Okay. How do you think, like, when you're praying and you lose motivation because that prayer hasn't been answered as soon as you wanted it to or it just hasn't been answered at all? You know, because I know we're commanded to pray, but sometimes people will lose motivation or want or sometimes they think, I need 
to keep praying after they haven't seen a response. Yeah, like say, like just for example, like say you're praying for somebody that's sick and they've been sick for years now and they're not, that's that's good. Um, I think that that's where probably the other two pillars of your Christian walk come into play to help encourage you in that area, which would be studying your Bible. I think you see throughout the Bible, you see people that spent years and years and years praying. You see prophets that prayed for the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah to turn away from their wicked ways and prayed that for 40 or 50 years and it never happened. Yeah. You see that. Um, you see also, like you see that throughout Scripture. Um, the other pillar would be community. Um, that's where you can be encouraged to, hey, like you, God is saying no or he's saying not yet, but God is still good and we should still, as children, we still ask him and hope and expect and trust and trust that whatever the outcome may be, whatever we're praying for, whether we think we have a, a good idea of what will bring God the most glory, but we can trust in the fact that ultimately what he does in that situation will be for his glory and we can find hope and faith in that. So I think those, those two things, you need all three of those things in your, your Christian walk. You need community, you need to be in God's word and you need to pray and have communication and converse with God. I think you need to pray and not be selfish, but more humble and like pray with faith and not just, I want this or I wish this would happen, but more like humble and trusting in God as you're praying. Yeah, and your, your desire should be to get to a place where you do you do pray and you ask for things and you, um, you desire things and you pray for those, but you're in a place where, like we just talked about, where you do trust God and His sovereignty and that the outcome will be for God's glory. And you're okay with that. And you desire, yes, I want this thing. Yes, I want this person to be healed. Yes, I want to see this happen in my life. Yes, I want to, you know, do this or I want to see this. But ultimately, more important than those things that I want is, God, I want you to be glorified. And I trust that you're sovereign and whatever comes out of this will be for your glory. That's why I like to end my prayers with, you know, I pray all these things in your will or for your glory. You yeah. Know, just to remind myself that it's for him in yeah. the end. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, if you listen to this, uh, pray. You can always pray more than you are. I promise. I'll catch y'all next time. Word. Word.